you can be seated. If you are pre-K through third grade, today is your day to go to Children's Church if you'd like to go. Mr. John is up front for you. And it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen. Um, As our kids are getting ready to go to hear the gospel in their own language and uh, hustle and bustle of Father's Day this morning, um, I am just thankful for our church. Um, It's been a tough week for me, I'm not going to lie. Our sister church um, that's very near us, Olivet Baptist, um, has chosen to go in a different direction with their replant process. I've been a a major player in that process, and um, that's a difficult thing. And so I'm just thankful for where God has placed me in this church, thankful for the changes that you have been able to receive And what God is doing in and through our body of Christ here. Um, It's very difficult for churches to change, um, to be about the gospel, to be about Christ. And, um, you know, it's it's a very difficult thing that what's going on over there right now. Um, But I'm just thankful. I'm thankful and blessed, and uh, God has done a major work in the last few hours uh, in that process of Olivet over there and um, the 30 or so people that uh, were coming from other churches to be a part of that replant process have said that they would like to continue, um, even though um, they're not going to continue at Olivet. So that's exciting. But it's devastating um, from our perspective and the five partner churches that have partnered in that replant process. So, um, so I'm just grateful for you, the body of Christ, um, your love for my family, your love for me. Um, it just re- truly is a, uh, a thanksgiving from the Lord. But it is Father's Day, and so we turn the page on all those things, and, and we remind ourselves that we're imperfect human beings, that um, God has graciously gifted us to be fathers. What a great and awesome responsibility that is, uh, to be a father. I can remember uh, first time holding my little girl as a father and thinking, what am I doing? doing. I have no idea what I am supposed to do. But with all the things out there to teach your sons and daughters, it is the gospel that is the highest call for a father to teach their children. And it struck me yesterday in our daily reading. Who's still with us in our daily reading? Anybody still with us out there that's reading on a, on a daily basis? If you're not, catch up. We're not even halfway through the year, so you can start right now and you'll still have halfway through the year. But it struck me yesterday in our daily reading when it was speaking of Ezra reading the word of God, of God to the people after they had returned from exile From Babylon back to Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 8. This is what it says. They read from the book of the law of God clearly. 
And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And really that's our call as parents, as fathers, to read to our children the word of God. And then give the sense to your children to understand what they are reading. Amen? That's essentially what we're called to do. Uh, There's a lot more to that, right? But basic, basically that is what God has called us to do. I, I know from experience that when I was six and seven years old, my father actually came to faith in Christ. My father didn't know a whole lot about the Bible when I was young, so he had to learn. And what he learned, he taught to his children. And what he learned from God, he obeyed it, and we saw it as he taught his children the word of God. Praise God that he did this. This is the challenge for us as men to teach our children the word of God and make sense of that and understand that. It's also the work of a pastor. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in our third installment in this series entitled Limitless, which we have seen these disciplines of faith preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. We've talked about prayer during times of stress and anxiety. And last week we talked about the unshakable joy through trials. And this morning we deal with the discipline of fasting. Uh, if, you, if you haven't thought about fasting or you don't know much about fasting, it's, it's all the new rage, okay, for health purposes. Fasting for weight loss, blood sugar levels, even brain function is all the new game out there, okay? Cleanses and reboots the system, they say. Intermittent fasting, calorie restrictions, nutrient restrictions, seasonal eating. You know, they told me growing up that breakfast was the most important meal of the day. That's what we were told growing up. Now they say it's cool, we call it intermittent fasting, right? I didn't eat breakfast when I was young and still don't eat at times, so you could say I knew it all along, right? But we as Christians don't fast for physical health purposes. Because our fasting is for more important purposes, for spiritual gain. We do it for the benefits of living for the glory of God and allowing the spirit inside of us to lead us. And during this series we've been doing, I I did a few challenges so that I could uh, do these challenges maybe to make, so that you could make fun of me or uh, you could, you could do these things. But the challenge for this um, sermon was to do a four day fast. I had never done anything like that. Uh, Four days with only water, without food or drink of other kinds, just water. But I added to it no electronics, no phones, computers, televisions. So that made it a little bit more even intense than it was. Here's a video of that. You can laugh at at me in that four-day fast. (laughs) 
This is day in the life of, of Rob, right? So this is, this is me. No computer, only books. to do all of these tasks or do all these projects to show how he can extend his life. And uh, I was just saddened by watching the documentary that all of these things that he deals with, whether it's stress and anxiety or fasting and the body or aging and death or even, <clears throat> even um, you know, shock or endurance all of these things that he deals with in the video, you know, we, the scripture deals with these things. And we're not only looking at this life, you know, but we're looking at the life to come. And we're picturing the kingdom of God. Would help us, Lord, as members to be able to use this conference to challenge our faith belief that we're not just a single worship united Wednesday night. When I'm thinking about this week, I'm thinking about uh, that it's going to be really, really hard. Like, I'm nervous to go 96 hours without food, phone, email, uh, television, Netflix. It's like I'm going back in time. It's like I'm going back to 1994. No email, no cell phone. It's like I'm going back to 1930s. No television. I'm circa 2003, no Netflix, right? Like, all of these things are things that I enjoy or I do on a regular basis. And I'm just now saying, no, what I need is the Lord. Yeah, so that was the, the challenge, right? To, to try to not only go without food, but also live differently, right? Without a cell phone, without email, without just going dark completely. And I was shocked, honestly. Uh, the word to describe those four days for me as a, as a person who, who went through that was peace. It was interesting how the peace of God uh, just, just enveloped my whole life. Even though I was hungry, um, I had the peace of God. The first 24 hours or, you know, 36 hours was a little bit rough, but once I hit that 48 hours, your body kind of changes. It adjusts to the fast, and um, my time with the Lord was enhanced. My time with others was focused. I, I, I realized I could say no to the flesh and the power of the Spirit, and what was best is I wasn't tied to my phone. I was talking to someone. I wasn't rushing to get the next call or the, the next text. Or when I was studying, I was focused upon what the Lord was speaking to me. I had a ton of gospel conversations that week, even leading someone to Christ that week. Why? Uh, simply because I was focused at the task 
at hand. And uh, I, I would encourage all of you to try sometime to do an extended fast, depending on um, your health and wh- where God has led you to, but try it. Um, it's, it's also a test of the heart, right? To see what is actually in your heart. God reveals the desires of your heart. You're able to see clearly where your treasure is. And so let's turn to the text this morning to see how Jesus uses fasting um, as a way to deny the flesh and live for the glory of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Living in the power of the Spirit through fasting. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. If you'll stand up, uh, we're going to read God's word as we do at Northwest. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you for... um, This opportunity to study this text this morning in which we're so gracious that you came into our world and overcome the temptations that we face, Father, on a daily basis. Um, That you freed us from the bondage of sin and death, giving us life and giving us the spirit of the living God. To come and live inside of us. Father, we ask that uh, your word would transform our hearts this morning. That we would hear it and understand it. And believe and trust in your word. We thank you for Christ and the great salvation that you have given to us. Through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought of this idea, but uh, this, this is going to pervade the sermon this morning. The idea that fasting is feasting. 
Fasting is feasting. A few years back, our family went on vacation. The whole family went, like 14 of us. So uh, it's a, kind of a, a big family vacation. And the place where we were going had a meal plan. Now, if you've gone on these vacations, you know that there's certain areas where you can get a meal plan. And we bought into the meal plan. And you know when you get the meal plan, you have to get your money's worth, right? You have to eat a ton of food or else you feel as if you're, you're, you're kind of paying too much for the food that you're getting. But we loved all the activities that we were doing during the day. So we loved the water slides and the pools and all the fun things. So when it came down to eating, it was an afterthought, even though we had bought the meal plan. So when we finally get to the restaurant, it's late in the evening. And this, this restaurant was different than the other restaurants because it was a family meal restaurant. And so each person's order was for a family. It was literally three or four people per order. But since we had the meal plan, we all ordered, okay? So we had 14 dishes of three to four persons, okay? This is what I would like to call a feast, ladies and gentlemen. We had appetizers for 14 people. We had bread for 14 people. And then we had a three to four person dish for each of us. Mind you, we have little kids with us as well. So it was a feast. And then when the feast was ended, we got dessert, right? But we were so full and we had so many to-go dishes. It was almost like you couldn't see our face when we were carrying out our to-go plates. I'm telling you, we had so many leftovers. We had, they had to roll us out of this restaurant. But when we left the restaurant, we gave our food away. People wanted, needed the food, and we just freely gave because we had so much food. And this is, this is how it is with followers of Christ Jesus. Often we're starving to be filled with the bread from heaven, but we have no time to eat it. We long for a four-course meal to be filled with the Spirit. But we're so caught up with the things of this world, we've lost sight of actually how hungry we actually are for the Lord. And when we do slow down and focus on eternal things, not only are we satisfied with the feast that the Lord gives to us from His Word, but then we freely give it to others. Because he has filled our hearts with the truth of the word of God. And this is what we see in the scriptures this morning is Jesus uses fasting as a way to trust in the God's word and to be filled with the spirit to feast in the Lord and not succumb to the temptation of the enemy. You see, there are many types of fasts that we see in the Bible, many reasons for fasting 
The Bible declare, shows us people who are fasting, f- fasting because of earnestness in their prayer time. Or they're seeking the Lord's guidance in areas where they need his wisdom. They're seeking the Lord's deliverance from or protection. They're humbling themselves before God, expressing repentance or grief or concern for his work. Or best of all, there, you see in scripture people expressing their love and devotion Saying with their fast, this much, O oh God, I want more of you. Or what we see this morning in preparation for overcoming the temptations of the world and to enter into the work that God has for them, as we'll see in Matthew chapter 4. But all this is tied to one thing and That is learning how to focus our mind, our body, and soul on that which is eternal. Not the mortal, not the temporal, not the bread, but the bread from heaven. So, this is living in the power of the Spirit through fasting. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is our first point this morning, which is fasting denies the flesh. Interesting, as this leads to what we talked about last week in James with trials. The word used here for to be tempted is the verbal form of the noun used in James for the trials. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. It is this trial or test that the Spirit is leading Christ into. And he is leading him into this trial to be tempted by the devil. It's not the Lord who is tempting. It is the adversary, Satan. But the Spirit is leading Jesus into this temptation. Why? Well, you may ask that question. Why would God lead in Jesus into the temptation. Well, this is interesting because not only Adam and Eve failed when they entered into the temptation in the Garden of Eden, but also Israel had failed. After God had delivered them from Egypt, they were led into the wilderness to be tempted. This is the exact phrase that Moses uses for Israel. So like Adam and Eve and like Israel, God's people, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted. But unlike Adam and Eve and unlike Israel, Jesus will overcome the temptation. Let me read for you. What Moses says about 
this entering into the wilderness in the days after God has taken his people out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Not 40 days, but 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he may make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Jesus quotes that at the end, or in in the next few verses. Your clothing, I'm going to continue on because it's too good. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. God is taking care of you even though you're in the wilderness. I'm not going to preach this passage, but I'm going to a little bit. (laughs) Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. So he takes you into the wilderness to discipline you, to prepare you for what he wants you to have, which is a land that is good. A land of brooks of water, fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines, fig trees, pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now here's the deal. In the wilderness, do you trust that God is bringing you into the good land? Do you believe that God actually has a plan for your life. This is the thing. Do you trust the word of God? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you trust that in the wilderness? And again, The Lord leads Israel into the wilderness to test them, to show them that man does not live by bread alone. But every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord, the very words Jesus spoke back to Satan in response to this temptation. You see, Jesus passes the test. And what a wonderful, beautiful picture of the gospel, right? Because what? We fail the test. But Jesus does not. Jesus did what you could not do. He lived without sin. Yet, he took your place for your punishment for sin. Paying your sin debt. Through his blood, freeing you from the penalty of sin, which is eternal damnation and judgment. So what? So that you could live. 
What a beautiful picture. So now, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have said, we cannot do it, we need Christ, we now live in the power of the Spirit of living God, denying the flesh and walking in the Spirit. Look at verse 2 for me for a minute. It's one of the most profound verses in the Bible. I love how profound it is. Listen to it. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Really? I don't know if you fasted very long, but it's telling us uh, he fasted 40 days and he was hungry. Thanks for that commentary, Matthew. Appreciate that. But one of the reasons why we fast is to kill. It is to kill the fleshly desires that we have inside of us. The fleshly desires in our heart that may or may not be aligned to the will of God. Literally, we kill the idols we have set up. Why? Because we discipline ourselves to say no to a natural desire our body craves, which is food. So if we can practice self-control and we can be satisfied with the bread from heaven, then we can say no and practice self-control in other areas of life that are outside of God's design, literally killing the flesh. You see, God has uniquely, it's interesting, all this stuff is so interesting to me, God's created order, okay? God's created order even speaks to how he operates. How does he operate? God has uniquely designed our bodies that when we fast, we start to produce, after a time of fasting, we start to produce something called ketones, at which at some point actually help your body function when it doesn't have food. It actually helps your body function at a high level. That, you know, like when I said earlier that the first 24 hours, 36 hours was rough, and then after that, you actually get in cruise control. And how come? Because your body adapts to not having food. You think, you focus more clearly. You're able to, to not have that deep hunger pains. And God actually allows you to function at a high, high level. You see, this is what God does. We see this in Scripture. When we trust God in and through the trial, God gives to us what we need, not only to survive, but to thrive amidst the trial. So God's created order in, in the way that he's built our bodies is actually his created order in the way that we function and live on a daily basis. That's what we see here with Christ. Even though he is hungry, he trusts the goodness and the grace of God amidst the trial. And at the end, we see who? God ministering to him. Through whom? Through his angels. 
That's why it's in there. Verse 11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Why? Because God was providing what he needed. At the end of the wilderness, there is the promised land. At the end of the journey in this life, in this wilderness, there is heaven. So my question to you this morning is, will you trust God's word? Or do you need to take it into your own hands? Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our second point this morning. Fasting allows for the Spirit's leading in our life. Not only does fasting kill the flesh, But fasting allows for the Spirit to lead our life, interestingly enough. The devil tempts Jesus in the same way that he did Adam and Eve in the garden. Trying to get Jesus to doubt the character of the goodness of God and what he has said. Doubting the character of God and doubting what he said according to his word. In the garden, that Satan was attacking the character of God by saying, isn't God holding back from you? When you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding back from you. You should take and eat. And here he's trying to get Jesus to doubt what? That God would provide for him. You need to take and eat. You need to take it into your own hands and make these stones become bread. Right? Take it in your own hands. Listen, you need the knowledge of good and evil. God really doesn't want you to have that. Hey, listen, you need to have this bread. God doesn't really want you to have that. He's doubting the goodness of God. Then he gets him to try to doubt the word of God. What happens previous to this? Look at the verse right before this. What does God say about Christ in his baptism? Verse 17 of chapter 3. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, With whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. What does Satan say? If you are the son of God, right? He's questioning what God has said according to his word. You can, you can see that. That's what he does. He gets you to question the word of God. He gets you to question the character of God. You can hear it now. Did God really say that if you eat of the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you will surely die? Did God really say, if you're the son of God? You see, church, we live in this age. We, we live in an age in which we are bombarded with Satan trying to get God's people to doubt his character, his goodness, and doubt his word. The questions always arise. I'm a pastor. Do, 
People often ask me this question, does God really care about me? The the answer is yes, he, he, he died for you. gospel proclaims that he loves you. I mean, we we get to see that on this end, right? And, And yet, there's many who say, you know what, I should probably just take this into my own hands. God really doesn't care about me. I need to take and eat. Like, maybe I should give my soul to my work neglecting my kids, neglecting my church. It will be okay. Maybe maybe that will bring me happiness. Or, or how about this one? Not not the question of does God really care about me, but the statement no one really cares about me. Not God or anyone else. That's a lie from Satan. God cares about you, but his people care about you too. The the church cares about you. We talked about this. The best way to make a friend is ask for help. That's the best way to make a friend with somebody. Why don't you start today? If you're willing to help somebody, I want you to just raise your hand right now. If you're willing to help somebody... I want you to say, I'm willing to help somebody. It doesn't matter what it is, financially or help them find a job or just talk to them or whatever. Raise your hand. All right. So if you're, if you're saying nobody cares about me, I want you to look on your row and say, there's somebody that cares about me. I want you to go ask for help today. You know, it's, it's interesting that Satan doesn't start temptation of Jesus with, here's a beautiful woman. Right? He, he doesn't start with, well, here's, here's a car that you could steal, Jesus. Right? Here's a Lamborghini. Don't you want that? You want to steal something? Here, here's a beautiful woman, Jesus. Don't you want to be with her? No. He says, turn these stones into bread. We, we would think to ourselves, man, I'm not, not really sure if that is a sin. Right? I mean, we, we, to be honest with ourselves, if Jesus turned stone into bread, he turned water into wine, so if he turned stones into bread, is it really a sin? But here's the deal. Satan is tricky because it's the heart behind what he does. So he is wanting Jesus to take his divinity and use it for his own purpose. He is wanting Jesus to prove that he is the son of God for his own purposes. Rather than bringing glory to God. And Jesus, being hungry, because he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, trusted in the word of God. He trusted in the goodness of God. So another reason why you fast, not only to kill the flesh or the idols, but is for fuel. Fuel you need 
to go in your car, right? It runs things. But fuel in the Christian life is this desire to trust in the word of God, to trust in what God has said. Back in February, when I did this challenge, um, I had lost my roommate in college the week before. And I can remember um, fasting during that week and um, just this deep desire for eternal things. This deep desire for what God desires, not for the worldly desires. All those things kind of just faded away very quickly. And and we have to ask ourselves in, in the midst of needing the fuel to walk through this life, the desire for eternity, what, what exactly do I live for? Is it for bread? Or is it manna from heaven? Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And, and, I, and, I, and I read that, and he's talking completely about eternity, eternal matters. It's the satisfaction that comes with the gospel. It's the satisfaction that says, I am a child of God. It's the satisfaction with, that comes with, I'm going to take and eat of the body that was broken for me and the blood that was shed for me. It's the satisfaction that says, I am satisfied because I have peace with my God who is my creator. I know that he truly loves me. I know that he has a plan for me, even though I'm walking through this wilderness, this dry and desert land. And in that, right, that's where we allow God to actually lead our life. In which we say, I surrender my flesh and live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the gospel is at work in my dry bones. Why? Because the word of God is alive. And that is what it is for the church to be alive. This is the spirit-filled life. A submission and a surrender to the word of God. Fasting is teaching us all these things. And the spirit of Christ now living in you gives you the power to say no to the flesh and live by the spirit all for the glory of God. Fasting is this tool that helps us to walk in the spirit. Often we don't take it out of our toolbox, but we need to. God has given it to us. Look at what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, 
Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So what we're talking about here is fasting helps us to kill the flesh, fuel the Spirit's leadership in our life. And all of it is based upon the gospel of what Christ has done. You see, praise the Lord that Jesus denied the flesh, walked in the Spirit, and has given us the Holy Spirit. That we too can reflect the glory of God with our life. Help us, Lord, right? Help us, Lord, to live for you. I mean, that's, that's, that's the prayer. Help us, Lord. To live for the glory of God. Let's look at the end here. I'm going to read the next section. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, place where God dwells, and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, questioning what God has already said. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on the hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's he's quoting scripture. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. It's such an interesting text. We could spend hours on this, right? <laughs> and we, we actually preached on this a few weeks back in Mark But the, the last point is this, and, and I want to focus on, on this aspect of this section. But, but fasting helps us to stand upon the truth of the word of God. See, the spirit of the living God, when we have submitted our lives to Christ, 
And the spirit of the living God comes into our hearts. He changes our life and unites our will with his will to be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy because we have put on Christ. You see, the devil knows his scripture. He knows it. And often he will twist it to make it what he wants it to say or make it to where we want it to say. It doesn't matter what we want it to say. It doesn't matter what the Satan says about the scriptures. It matters what God says according to the scriptures. We as believers put on the armor of God so that we are not swerved from the truth of the word of God. So that we are not shaken by culture. We are not shaken by man. We are not shaken by government. But we'll stand upon the truth of God's word even if it means persecution and death. You see, even in Jeremiah, the prophet, it talks about the word of God written on the hearts of those who are in the new covenant. We will give no opportunity for the flesh because the truth of the word of God is written on our hearts. Why? Because of the gospel, God's love so lavished upon us in Christ Jesus upon the cross that all we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ want and desire to do is live for the glory of God. That's how it works. So fasting actually becomes a feast in our lives. Why? Because we feast on the truth of what God says is true. And we actually see areas in which we may have become attached to fleshly desires. And we need to focus upon the truth of God's word. The final two temptations here are again trying to, for, to get Jesus to prove himself or bring glory to himself and Christ rejects Satan's plan to take and to eat. To take the kingdoms of this world and instead Jesus will lower himself instead of elevate himself, he will lower himself to the cross. And by doing so, he will ultimately be exalted. But it won't be him exalting himself. It will be God exalting him. This is what Philippians 2 talks about. After it talks about he lowered himself to become a servant and eventually die upon the cross. This is what it says in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
And after this, how did Jesus begin his, te- his preaching? It was repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, Jesus knew that by lowering himself in his humility, God would exalt him. This is what it means for us as believers. We lower ourselves so that God may exalt us one day. You see, Jesus trusted the very words of God that declared that the son of David would come and his kingdom would have no end. So in a world in which everyone is feasting on the flesh, the fleshly desires, the worldly desires, the lust of the eyes, let us live for something greater, church. Let us live for the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask our uh, worship team to come up and um, we're going to do something a little different at this time. We're going to respond in prayer to God's word. I was reading Nehemiah chapter 8 and chapter 9. And what they do is they respond to the reading of God's word and the instruction of God's word with prayer. And what do they pray? They recount what they heard read. And then they apply it to their life. So as the musicians are going to play right now, I'm going to have them play while I talk. I want you to stand up as we're going to take a time of prayer this morning. We're going to respond to the word of God in prayer. I'm going to help us do that. So I want you to declare what you've heard in the word back to God through your lips. So it may go something like this, right? I'm giving you an example. Father, we come before you knowing that you know our circumstance and our situation. And we thank you that you have plans past my cancer, past my struggle. Father God, we know that you have plans for me because you are a good, good father who knows the purposes in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Everybody continue to pray. Would you just voice what you heard from the word back to the Lord in his promises? Can you trust him in your situation? Declare that to him this morning.
My next question this morning is, have you been living for yourself or the pleasures of this world? Have you been feasting on the flesh? If you have, declare that. Confess that to the Lord this morning. Maybe something like this. Father, I am broken. I am thankful for Christ upon the cross and him overcoming sin and temptation. But Father, I've been living for the bread here and now. And I need to live for you. These areas of my life, I need to give to you. Lord, I give them up. Respond to the Lord through what he speaks to you in the areas of feasting of the flesh. Now declare the gospel to yourself through your own lips. Declare what Christ has done for your sins and how he has paid for your sins on the cross. Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Declare the gospel through your lips. That you are cleansed. That you are made holy and righteous through the blood of Christ. Declare it. Pray it. Now humbly ask the Lord to transform your heart. In the act of submission, ask the Lord to work in your heart, to be filled with the Spirit to live for the glory of God, not for yourself. Ask him. Lord, we come before you asking that we would live for you, not our own purposes, not the purposes of this world, but for your purposes, kingdom purposes, and our money and our, our, our life and our things and our our desires would align with your desires, that our, 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 our life would be unfiltered for the glory of God. We cast off our idols, that you would help change our hearts and desires through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. One of the things that people did was they sang and they rejoiced. So let's sing and rejoice. I'm not sure what song we have, but I hope it's a joyful one. Let's sing and rejoice.